0: We have a guest today. I've asked Ronnie Orman to come and share something of her story. I'm going to ask her some questions. And um, uh, Ronnie is a registered nurse with the Cross County Health Department. She and her husband, Josh, have been married for 14 years. They have three children, Jackson, who is in heaven, uh, Jenna Claire, their daughter, and Jet, their son, who is one of the most recent graduates of our We School ministry here at Wynn Baptist Church, and so would you please join me in welcoming Ronnie Orman to our platform. <clears throat> Ronnie, thank you for agreeing to share with us today. Uh, let me just begin in this way: share with us how did you first come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior?
1: I've often wondered what I would say if someone asked me that. Um, I was raised in church, so I don't, I don't have that one moment that I. Can remember um coming to know jesus um i was baptized at 11 years old with my dad he got baptized same time as me um i don't know if my mom's faith just kind of bled off onto me but i've always known jesus um my sister was killed in a car accident when i was 18 years old uh, three days after i graduated high school so um i watched my mom uh, deal with that with a lot of faith that um, of course I didn't understand at that time uh, where she had to pull that faith from but um, I've just I've always known I've always known Jesus Um, I don't think that I was um, the follower that I am now obviously Um, I do believe that trials they change you Um, they make Jesus into this untouchable um, father figure into your best friend and your, your breath if I did not have Jesus, I, I would not be able to breathe. Before I lost my son, I, um, I think I, I loved Jesus and I knew him, but I didn't need him like air, um, and now I do. So I don't have that one moment that, that I came to know Jesus, but I, I have the moment that I accepted that I needed him like air.
0: You know, as a, as a mom who's experienced a tragedy like that, uh, I know that you're part of a church, and I've said this before, I don't think I've ever been in a church family that's experienced more personal tragedy than this particular church family. Uh, how, how did the Lord Jesus make a difference in your life as a mom as you walked through that experience?
1: Well, like I said, I, um, I watched my mom. You know, she was raised with a lot of faith and, and taught us, um, but I, I didn't understand what it was. Um, obviously, what she went through until I had my own children. And you can, as a, as a parent, you can never um, comprehend or even want to understand what it would be like to have to walk through life without your children. Um, to have them go before you is just unspeakable. Um, but I can say that when I became a mother and then when I lost Jackson, um, I realized what it was for God to allow Jesus to come into this horrible world and suffer the way he did, and like the song just said, he didn't spare his own son for us. Um, I mean, he loved us enough that he didn't spare his own son. I, I, in the beginning when we lost Jackson, I questioned, you know, why us, why us, but why not us? If it can bring glory to him, he's going to do it. The question is whether we go through life and keep asking why, 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 or we just accept it. Just accept that he's God and, and we're not and he is holy and we are not.
0: You know, those are powerful words. And I know you're saying them and, and just saying them, it sounds easy to say them, doesn't it? But but I know that God's done a work in your life to enable you to make that kind of a testimony today. Um, I'd like to pray with you, uh, Ronnie, and I'd like to pray for those in the congregation who today, particularly on Mother's Day, um, you're remembering Uh, someone that was very precious to you and that is no longer here. And as we study God's Word today and we talk about your prayer life, uh, we want to ask the Lord to speak to you specifically, okay? So let's pray together. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the way that we can turn to you as the healer, the only healer of broken hearts. You have said that you draw near to the brokenhearted, and we know that you are the one who heals the broken heart. And, Father, we know that, that after losing someone special like Jackson and as different ones here have lost those who are precious to them, we know, Father, that that is a, truly a dark night of the soul and that we do come with questions often that don't have answers on this side of heaven. Father, we praise you, though, that there is still a reason to live, that you have a purpose and a plan for Ronnie and for Josh, for their entire family, And you have a purpose for anyone who turns to you in the midst of tragedy and says, Oh God, how do I live? How do I go on from here? Father, we thank you for what you've done in Ronnie's life. We thank you for her ability to stand here today and to give you praise and honor for what the work that you have done in her heart. Thank you, Almighty God. Father, we pray especially today for someone that may be sitting here who doesn't know Jesus and they're facing stress, they're facing a challenge, They're dealing with a great hurt. Uh, They have a great longing in their heart. And we pray today they would hear your voice as we study your word. And Holy Spirit, would you touch their life, change them forever. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much, Ronnie. Would you all please express your appreciation to her? And at the end of the service today, if you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we're going to give you an opportunity. Some pastors and I will be standing down front. And at the end of the service, it's an opportunity, whether you're in the balcony or downstairs, just to come and to say, I want to trust Christ. I, I want that new life. I want that capacity to deal with all the things that can come the way that lady did. And so we're, we'll be here to help you. Uh, would you listen attentively now as we... Read God's Word. We're talking today about the gospel on your praying. The gospel on your praying. I don't know what your prayer life is like, but we want to look at a lady today that I think Jesus wants us to look at, and she has much to say to us about prayer. This isn't everything that you and I need to know about prayer, but there's some very important truths that we're going to see in this woman's life. And so I call your attention first to Mark 7, and then we're going to read some verses in. Matthew 15. Same story. I want to read both accounts because they're going to be important to us as we go through this this morning. Mark chapter 7, and I'm beginning in verse 24. Mark 7 verse 24. From there he arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered a house and wanted no one to know it, but he could not be hidden. For a woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard about him, and she came and felled his feet. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. But Jesus said to her, Let the children be filled first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she answered and said to him, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs under the table, Eat from the children's crumbs. Then he said to her, for this saying, go your way, the demon has gone out of your daughter. And when she had come to her house, she found the demon gone out and her daughter lying on the bed. Now in Matthew 15, we have not just a repeat of that count, but another perspective from another writer of what happened on that particular day, on that encounter. I'm reading from Matthew 15 and verse 21. Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon possessed. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away. For she cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, "O oh, woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire." And her daughter was healed from that very hour. A woman coming to Jesus asking for something from him. You know at the heart of your prayer life, that's what's happening. And there's more that can happen, more that should happen, but much of our prayer life is spent asking God to do something, asking for something from Him. And so these accounts are not in the Scripture by accident, and I believe with all my heart that the gospel, which is good news, that Jesus has something here for you and me to see about prayer and how He interacts and responds to you and me when we pray. What does Jesus want you to know about prayer? Number one, people who need Jesus, pray. People who need Jesus, pray. In verse 24 of Mark 7, let me read it again. It says, for there he arose and went into the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered a house and wanted no one to know it. But he could not be hidden. For a woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard about him, and she came and fell at his feet. For some reason, Jesus did something that he had never done before in his ministry. He traveled outside of Israel. He visited Gentile territory. This place where he went was about 35 miles northwest of the Sea of Galilee. And we're really not told expressly why he went to this place. We suspect, we can guess, reading the account that he was probably tired and and he needed to get away. needed to shut down for a little while. Uh, We don't know exactly, but we do know that when he went there, he really didn't want to deal with anyone, but he couldn't be hidden. He didn't want anyone to know he was there, but he couldn't hide that fact, and word got out. And so this woman finds out. This woman is not a Jew. The Bible says she's a Syro Phoenician. Phoenician people had, were seafarers who had settled in different parts of the Mediterranean. They'd settled in Syria, which is where this lady was. They'd also settled in parts of North Africa. But she was a, she was a part of this people group. Uh, the Old Testament would have called them Canaanites. And so you see that language uh, running through there as we think about her. So what is the Bible saying about her? It's saying she's a pagan, she's not a Jew. And, and she is. She is blasting through so many social and cultural barriers to just kind of walk up to Jesus. For one thing, she's a woman, and women just didn't approach a Jewish rabbi. And uh, there were all kinds of taboos and restrictions on communication like that. And, and she's not a Jewish person, she doesn't believe in a Hebrew God, but, but um, she is desperate. And she is approaching Jesus, and she is crying out to him. So even though she's out of bounds, she, her heart is, is hard-pressed to see him. Why? The Bible says she has a daughter that has a demon, uh, an unclean spirit. Sometimes the New Testament uses that language. Uh, never uses the word demon possession the way we do in English. Uh, the Greek word, demonizomai, would better be translated demonized, meaning heavily influenced by a demon. Uh, we get the idea of demon possession uh, probably from our uh, Middle Eastern, middle, uh, medieval stories and some of our fiction and some of those things, and that language has crept in even into some of our translations. But the point is, this woman, this young girl, had a demon. Now, I don't know what you believe about Satan and fallen angels, but the Bible does not hesitate to say that they exist, that they attack people, and that they are still here. And I don't know what we are thinking in North America that when we read the scripture and we read about people who have demons, that somehow we think that when the New Testament was finished, they all just disappeared. Um, Where there are people, there are unclean and evil spirits who are seeking to influence. And because of that, the, the context of the New Testament is that you and I are engaged in a spiritual battle. We're engaged in a spiritual warfare and the consequences are great. And so when you and I talk to God, when you and I pray, we are doing that in the midst of a battle. We're doing that in the midst of a war. And and it's very important that you and I begin to understand our praying like that. That when you and I pray, we are taking action. We are stepping into the fray of something that I cannot see but that dramatically affects my life and my family and the world and my church. And, and I'm entering into that fray when I begin to pray. And so this woman is a desperate mother. Now, ordinarily, I think if Jesus had spoken to me the way he spoke to this woman, I think I just would have crawled away. And uh, we're going to talk about that in just a moment. But I think it speaks to her desperation as a mom that she keeps coming and she keeps coming, and she keeps coming. People who need Jesus pray. This woman needed Jesus, and she is persistent as a consequence of that. She knows that she doesn't have in herself what is needed to resolve the issue with her daughter. She is not self-sufficient. Self-sufficient people don't pray. Self-sufficient people don't feel a need to pray. I don't really need to God for anything today, so I'm not going to pray about anything today. And our perspective of ourselves as being able to take care of our needs, our problems, everything that I'm going to encounter a day, shows up in our prayer life. Or our lack of a prayer life. And so if you find it that in your life that prayer is not a big deal, and you don't find much of a necessity to pray, let me suggest to you that you have not yet encountered a problem big enough. And I would much rather encourage you now as your pastor to take everything to the Lord than to wait for the hammer to fall. And you experience something so big that you absolutely come to the truth that you cannot take care of you. And that is the truth. God did not make you to be self-sufficient. He made you to be dependent on him. But people who need Jesus, they pray. Second thing I think that Jesus is showing us here in this passage, and I believe it's really clear, what he wants you to know about prayer. Number two, people who pray often encounter a delay between praying and receiving. Have you ever experienced that? In uh, Matthew 15, we see this, verse 22. It's really striking. He says, and behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. Now look at verse 23. But he answered her, not a word. Not a word. Now this is striking because if you read earlier in the gospel, it seems like everybody who asked, right away, Jesus took care of their need. But not with this woman. One of the hardest discoveries that you're ever going to make as a Christian is that there are moments when you pray and you ask God for something and it seems that nothing is happening and there is a delay between your praying and your receiving. And, and that's a particularly vulnerable time for a Christian of all ages, no matter whether you've been a Christian for two weeks or 25 years. It's a vulnerable moment because the enemy does not want you to trust God and he's doing everything he can to shoot darts of doubt into your soul. And and this process of waiting on God is one of the most difficult things you're ever gonna experience as a Christian. He wants to derail your faith and he wants to stop your walk with God. And how many believers do you know who have continued to struggle, sometimes many years in their walk with God, because when they prayed and they got up off their knees, it seemed like nothing happened. And so he wants you to understand that people who who pray often encounter a delay between praying and receiving. This woman did. He didn't answer her. Not a word. There's a third thing he wants you to know. People looking to him exclusively will keep crying out to him persistently. In other words, there's a direct relationship between your focus on Jesus and your persistence in your praying. Look at Mark 7 verse 26, the woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. Now that English language does not give you the full impact of what she was doing. She kept asking, and she kept asking, and she kept asking, and she kept asking, and she kept asking. She was relentless. The the language there is clear. She kept asking, but she kept on and on and on and on. In Matthew 15, verse 23, it says that when she couldn't get Jesus' attention, she turned to the disciples, and the disciples came and urged him, saying, send her away, for she cries out after us. And they they are like, please, Lord, do something with this lady, because she is so persistent. She, She can't be stopped. She's relentless, he was silent, but boy, she wasn't silent, and she kept pursuing him. Now, the disciples did seek some relief, and I think there's, a, there's something there to see. Um, you know, sometimes when you are waiting on God, and you are trusting him, and we're going to talk in just a moment about the promises of God. And you're trusting him with a promise that you know has come from the Lord. It is not unusual for the people around you, neither to understand or support your pursuit. And the disciples certainly illustrate that at this moment. I think of all people, they would have been the first ones to jump in and say, Jesus, can't you do something for her? And, and so there are times where you, you will feel absolutely alone. That's not the truth about your situation. But you may experience that. And your, your parents may not be on board. They may not be supporting you in what you're praying about. Your, your spouse may not even be supporting you. Your, your children, your friends, they may not be supporting you. But you are seeking God, and you are waiting on Him, and you're pursuing Him. The people who are focused on God or on Jesus exclusively are the ones who keep praying. You see... He wants to do a work in you to where he brings you and I to a place to where I stop looking at everything else to save me, and I'm just looking at Jesus. In Hebrews 11, verse 6, the Bible says, without without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of who? Of those who diligently seek him. He rewards those who diligently seek him. How does he reward them? With himself. With himself. And so he's doing something with this woman in relationship to her faith. Now last summer we studied 1 Peter in our our 242 series in June and July. And uh, I preached about Peter on Sunday morning and then in homes during the week people gathered and y'all discussed it. One of the things that we learned from Peter is that your faith is more precious than gold to our God. Your faith is more precious to him than anything else. It's the most valuable thing. They are the diamonds of heaven, your expressions of faith. And, and he allows, and he is working in circumstances sometimes, to do some things to make your faith more pure uh, and more focused on him. One of the, part of the language that's used in the New Testament is this idea of proving your faith. Proving your faith. To show that it exists. You know, if your life is trouble-free, if there are no problems in your life, if there's, there are no needs in your life, uh, you can say, I believe in God, but what are you actively having to trust Him for? It is when you have need, when you come to Him and you have to pray, when you are facing a crisis... That then you have to make a decision. Do I believe this stuff or not? Do I believe in Jesus or not? Is he real to me or not? And so he proves your faith through those experiences. He also purifies your faith. He puts it through the fire we saw in Peter. And, and all the impurities of molten gold will float to the surface. And those people who were making these gold ingots or gold jewelry, whatever it was, would skin the impurities off the top. And so to make that gold more precious, he would purify it. And You say, well, what needs to be purified about my faith? Well, sometimes I say I trust God, but I got a safety net over here, and I got a safety net over here, and I'm trusting this, and I'm trusting my account, and I'm trusting that person, and I'm trusting all kinds of other things, and I say I trust God. What, what often happens when he purifies your faith is all those things go away. And you only have him to trust And so people who pray persistently are the ones who have focused entirely on Jesus Christ. They're focusing all their attention on him. They're looking to him exclusively. That's what this woman is doing. She's got no other recourse. She's got no other safety net. She's got no one else to turn to. Jesus is all she's got. And then number four, what Jesus wants you to know about prayer. People who keep praying are clinging to, to his promises. People who keep praying, are, they're holding on to something, they are clinging to his promises. Now we have one of the most remarkable exchanges in the Gospels that we're going to look at here. Mark 7, verse 27. Listen to it carefully. But Jesus said to her, let the children be filled first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she answered and said to him, yes, Lord. Yet even the little dogs under the table eat from the children's crumbs. Then he said to her, for this saying, go your way, the demon has gone out of your daughter. In Matthew, he says to her in 15, verse 28, A woman, great is your faith, let it be to you as you desire, and her daughter was healed from that very hour. Now what is Jesus doing? He calls her a dog? Good grief. You know, a dog, if I call you a dog, that's, well, that might be cool in some places. But in most of the time, in the Old Testament, if someone was called a dog, that was offensive. If someone was called a dog in the New Testament, that was offensive. What is that all about? Well, fortunately, the word that's used there is a, a, a diminutive, and it's not talking about a full-grown dog. It's talking about a little dog, probably a pet. And they didn't have dogs as pets in New Testament times. And so probably like, household pets these are little dogs that just kind of hang around under your feet get hair all over the place and nip at your heels and whatever your dogs do and he comes to her and he says look and he draws from something she would have been very familiar with to try to help her understand I don't believe at all in my heart Jesus is trying to offend this lady I think he's drawing on something in the culture to, to show her something and this is really really cool hang with me okay When you sat down to eat in that day and time, typically adults would eat first. And the children would eat next. And as they cleared the table, whatever was left would be thrown to the household pets. And then if they had mongrels or something outside, they would just sort of throw it out the back door for the the trash dogs, (laughs) the yard dogs. And so Jesus is saying to her, look, I've come for the lost sheep of Israel. I'm on a particular mission. There's a certain order that's being followed here. There's a mission and there is a plan. I'm coming to Israel. He's suggesting to her that there is something coming later for Gentiles. And in fact, there was. Jesus wasn't on a mission to the Gentiles, but certainly the apostle Paul was. And so there's a sequence of this. The Jews are going to receive this message, and as they were always expected to do in the Old Testament, this message was to be broadcast to the entire world so that what God told Abraham, that he would be a blessing to all nations, would finally come true. And then she does something amazing. She she hears what Jesus is saying, and, and she understands the visual of the social situation that Jesus has just alluded to. But then he says these, she says these amazing words, yet even, Lord, even the little dogs under the table eat from the children's crumbs. I brought with me a bib. Getting and I are getting ready to go see the grandson this week. And um, you see this little pocket here under the chin right here? You know what that does? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> uh, it's a waste. I don't even know why they put it there. I don't know about anybody else, but when our children were being fed, they were very independent sorts. They wanted to feed themselves. And so they would, they would kill the food first. I think that's just born in children to kill their food. And so if it was spaghetti, they would smash the spaghetti. If it was peas, they would smash the peas. Whatever it is, they kill the food first. And then they, they take the, the, the weapon and they, they get something on it, and they try to get it to their mouth, and it goes here, and it goes here, and it goes on the floor. How many times has, have Gail and I flipped a coin to say, who's going to take the child and hose them off? <laughs> and who's going to clean up all the debris field around the high chair? You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> all the food that would go around the high chair. You know what this lady is saying to Jesus she's saying Jesus look I'm a mom I'm a mom and I understand the progression of the adults eat first and then the children eat and then we take the scraps and give them to the puppies but have you seen my kids eat if you'd seen my little girl eat there's crumbs that fall on the floor and she said Jesus based on what you're saying I need some crumbs there should be some crumbs for me and she's not waiting for the plan of God to work out in in the original progression. She's crying out now. She's saying, Jesus, based on what you've said, if that's the analogy, if that's the way God works, then where are my crumbs? And a crumb from God in your life can change everything. And she knows it. And she's crying out to him. What has she done? She's not approached Jesus based on her worthiness. Lord, you don't understand. I'm a human being. You created me. You should listen to me. You should do stuff for me. You know, the real danger when you've been praying a long time for something is we begin to argue our case based on how long we've been praying. Oh, God, I've been praying a long time. Don't I have your attention? Haven't I been good enough? Haven't I pushed long enough? Have I waited long enough? Lord, that should be worth something. That should merit something. She doesn't approach on that. She should say, you know, I'm not a dog. You shouldn't call me a dog. I'm I'm a person and I'm as valuable as anybody else. All people are created equal. She doesn't come on that basis. She doesn't come at all based on who she is. Her entire approach is based on what Jesus has said. And so I want to commend to you today the words of Jesus Christ and the Word of God Is one of the most powerful ways to sustain your prayer life when you're waiting on God is to get into his word and to read the promises of God. As you begin to pray the promises of God, the Father loves to hear his word pray back to him. You know, a few weeks ago as a church, we had a week of prayer. You remember that? Seeking him together right here in this auditorium. We started on one Sunday morning. We had seven zones set up in the auditorium. You came in for an hour, and there were scriptures, and there were all kinds of prompts and encouragements for how to pray that hour and people started on one Sunday and and there was somebody at least one person in here every hour for the entire week to the following Sunday morning when the last person came here and prayed and said amen now one of the reasons we had so much scripture at each of those prayer uh, zones was because praying scripture back to God is something that pleases God it blesses God you know when my kids were little and um and when they really wanted to challenge me and motivate me to do something they would get up in my lap and they would say dad you said we were going to go to the zoo today or dad you said we were going to go to the park today or dad you said we were going to go swimming today and they come back to me and they go you said you said you said and when you go to god and you say you said you have his attention because he's your father and it is the father's heart to answer your prayer just like any father Desires to love and bless his children. In Luke chapter 11, verse 9, the Lord Jesus says, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone, and if that's in your Bible, I would circle it. For everyone, 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 everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. And the grammar there, you know this, you should know this. Ask is not just ask one time. The word for ask is ask and keep on asking and keep on asking and keep on asking Seek and keep on seeking, keep on seeking, keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking, keep on knocking, keep on knocking for everyone who asks, receives. Jesus said that. Your pastor didn't say that. Some writer of a best-selling book on prayer didn't say that. Jesus Christ said that. Now, are we trying to twist God's arm when we pray His promises and we, we persist and we we, we keep praying and we keep asking, are we trying to twist God to doing something that he really doesn't want to do? Not at all. And there is some mystery to the waiting that you and I do in relationship to God. One thing I know for sure is what I talked about earlier. God is building our faith. Sometimes he is preparing our heart, changing us in ways that you may or may not be conscious of as you wait on him and you continue to seek him and you, you trust his word. Sometimes you pray one promise, but as you continue to wait on God, He raises up other promises, and what you're praying for begins to change. And you begin to zero in more and more and more on what's near the heart of God. And so He changes even how you're praying over time. Let me give you another reason why we have to persist. We're in a war, people. And if you go back and read the Old Testament, read Daniel, read some of those other passages and scriptures, listen, the enemy is trying to stop the forward progress of the kingdom of God in the world today. And if you're praying for someone in your family that doesn't know Jesus, if you're praying for someone to come home that's run away, if you're praying for God to do a work in somebody's heart, listen, there is an opposition to that praying. And the enemy will first oppose you and then he's going to keep opposing and and I don't fully understand it but I do know this that when you read Ephesians 6 he talks about putting on the armor of God raising up the shield of faith when he, before at the very end he talks about praying praying in the spirit praying in the spirit right after he talks about taking up the sword of the spirit which is what the Word of God and so the picture that forms there is after you've been fully armed you take up the weapon the Word of God you begin to pray What are you doing? You're praying the promises of God. What's the context? It's a battle with the forces of darkness. And I can't tell you how long that's going to take. It may take one minute. It may take 100 years. I can't tell you that. But I can tell you that Jesus taught us to keep it up. Don't don't let up. Don't back up. Just keep praying. Keep seeking him. Let me tell you something else that's going to happen. Probably the most important thing that's going to happen as you keep seeking the Lord like this lady did, you keep persisting, is that you're going to know Jesus better and better and better and better. And as you get to know him, you're going to fall more and more in love with him. And you're going to find yourself coming to him, not only to pray and to intercede and to talk about those needs and talk about those crises, but you're going to come to the Lord Jesus just because you love him and because you want to enjoy him. And because you discover he wants to enjoy you as his child, as his son, as his daughter. And the relationship between the two of you is transformed. Jesus said when you pray, he said, go in your room, shut the door. Why? Because he wants time with you. Just you and him. It's not just for your sake, it's because he loves you and you're precious to him. And so as you and I persist in prayer, our relationship with Jesus is transformed. And our experience of his love grows and our love for him deepens and grows as well. Let me ask you to bow your heads and to close your eyes. As we take a moment now to respond to what God has said to our hearts, my conviction is that the Holy Spirit has been speaking both through my mind and my heart as I've been sharing God's word with you, but he's been speaking to your mind and heart. And as he speaks to you, He doesn't speak to you just to leave you as you are. He speaks to you because He loves you and He's calling you to Himself. And there may be a very specific way He wants you to respond today. Something that He's directing you to do. A way that He wants you to acknowledge Him. One way might be to come down here. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, The Bible says that he came into this world on a rescue mission for your soul. That it is a bloody battle and that the enemy holds captive everyone that he can. The Lord Jesus has come and the good news is, is that he can set you free. All your sins can be carried away. He can set you free from the punishment those sins deserve. He can also come and live inside you. He will when you trust him. And his power will be with you every day, every moment of your day, for everything you face in a day. And you won't be alone in this war anymore. And so I invite you to come. If you've never trusted Christ, come. Tell one of these pastors, I want to trust Jesus today. I want to know him. I want him to forgive my sins and to change of my life. And I invite you to come. You may just need to pray right where you are in the pew. Maybe God is is touching your heart about something maybe at one time you were praying about and you've stopped, someone that God wants you to to carry a burden for. Maybe he just wants you to come and be alone with him this week, spending time with him each day, just to know him, just to love him, to be with him. How's he speaking to you? If you're one of those dear ones who suffered a great tragedy and Mother's Day only intensifies that, maybe in your past, you just want one of these pastors to pray with you or maybe someone that's sitting nearby to pray with you, just take them by the hand and say, hey, would you pray for me? You don't have to explain a lot. Just say, I I need someone to pray with me today.